over the wall podcast coming at you. Got some big stories to hit on, man. A lot of good things going on. Saints, LSU. We'll hit some college football playoffs. Saints, two tough losses. But once again, man, I'm a optimist for the Saints. I truly am. So if you listen to my segment, it's going to make you feel better about where the Saints are heading. It's going to make you not panic or not just crap all over the Saints. It's going to be optimistic and you're going to like what you hear. LSU, two big wins in the season. Really, you know, flip the script on, on what was the narrative around the program about three weeks ago. We'll dive into, you know, the big win against Ole Miss. We'll dive into, you know, what I see moving forward the next couple of years. We'll also dive into the coaching firings and what do I see with the coaching hirings. It'll be interesting. Finally, we'll finish with the college football playoff and kind of what drives me crazy about not necessarily the playoff itself. But the backlash from all the people in the media and just people in general and what they, they talk about and why it frustrates me. So interesting topic. And uh, let's get it, man. Let's enjoy it. LSU gets a big win Saturday to finish up their season against Ole Miss in a game that I said previously they had to win. It was a must win situation for LSU heading into this tumultuous offseason. I thought they needed momentum heading into it, and they did. I would have told you two weeks ago, LSU would have won the last two games of the season. You would have cut backflips. Obviously, this season was terrible, horrendous, as far as what the fan base's expectations were coming off of this national championship, which I don't think the fan base thought that they would go for a national championship or you know compete for an SEC West crown. But they wanted something more than what they got. It was terrible. A terrible season from so many angles. Obviously, the COVID situation hits. There's no fans in the stands. What's great about LSU football? It's the pageantry, the atmosphere, the intensity, the game day you know, rituals, the tailgating. You had none of it. And that was a big blow to LSU. That was a big blow to college football in general. And we've talked about that before. Then you just had an offseason that it really hurt the program. You've had opt-outs. And then, you know, during the season, you had more opt-outs when you look at Marshall, when you look at, you know, Eric Gilbert, who was your superstar coming into the program as a freshman, probably the best player in the country. And he opts out, essentially quits on the team, and he's gone. He's not coming back. I would be thoroughly shocked if he came back. You had injuries. You had just a lot of things that were just a negative blow to the program. Now, LSU overcame it to a certain extent, finished up 5-5, five and five, and like I said, it was a big win. Now, we could break down this game. I said the whole time when T.J. Finley was inserted into the starting lineup after the Miles Brennan injury, and I said that you know, Finley looked good. He did. Now, he wasn't setting the world on fire, but he was doing a solid job. But I kept saying, the one thing I don't want the coaching staff to do is get fixated on one quarterback. And they didn't. They ended up giving Johnson his chance to play, his chance to start the last two games of the year. And I think it paid dividends. I like Max Johnson a lot. And the reason why is I like a guy who can be cerebral from the position. And that's what Joe Burrow was. You look at what you had success with. You had success with a guy like Joe Burrow, who wasn't this freak athlete, but what he was was a coach's son, which I like, know the game. And I'm not saying T.J. Finley does, but I think T.J. Finley 
what he has that Max Johnson doesn't have is just pure ability. I mean, arm strength, second to none, in size. Obviously, having that size creates better vision within the pocket. Now, he's not as good of a runner or maybe as good of an athlete as Max Johnson. But there are some skill sets with Finley that is better than Max Johnson. Like I said, mainly the arm strength. Now, back to Burrow. Burrow, obviously, as we know, is the greatest football player in the program's history. Arguably the greatest football player in college football history in the numbers and what he did for LSU last year. So we talked about being cerebral from that position of quarterback. That's what he was, coach's son, and nothing was going to phase him. That's what I like about Max Johnson. All right. Obviously, his dad was Brad Johnson, Super Bowl winning quarterback. There's this cerebralness to him that I like. And he reminds me of Burrow in that aspect that the arm strength isn't through the roof. It's not. And he is a work in progress. He's not a finished product. There's still more to him, you know, to, to get better from that position. So there are things that, that do remind me of Burrow a little bit. I like the pocket awareness. I like, you know, his mobility. There's things there. But once again, I'll keep going back to it. Do not get fixated on one guy. This is going to be an interesting offseason with these quarterbacks. Think about it. Miles Brennan is still there. He hasn't said he's opted out or transferred yet. And when he played, you know, there was something there. I mean, the offense was humming. Now, I do believe they're going to move on and they're starting, as you can see, and we'll, we'll talk about it with the coaching changes. They're starting fresh almost. You can see it now. And so I don't think Brennan stays. I do believe he transfers. I think as a program as well, I think you have to start anew. And I think you have to go with one of these guys, and especially with Garrett Nussmeyer, another guy who I like a lot. Now, I hadn't seen too much of him, but once again, it was a topic I just talked about. Coach's son being cerebral, right? His dad, Doug, Doug Nussmeyer, has been offensive coordinator for you know several big-time programs, Alabama, Florida. He's with the Cowboys now. So you know you're going to get a guy who knows the game, and we've seen the physical abilities. Like If I just go off of what I've seen off of tape, I think Nussmeyer, you know, where he's at right now, obviously Max Johnson, TJ Finley have a year ahead of him. I, I think physically he's probably better than those guys. So, once again, do not get fixated on one guy. So that's the quarterback position. Now, Tayshawn Butte is the guy that everybody's talking about. He has emerged as a big-time, you know, the next big-time guy at LSU at the receiver position. When you think about LSU throughout the years, and LSU really, besides the past two seasons, has not been this, you know, offensive juggernaut. But they are continuing to churn out big-time receivers. I mean, when you go all the way back to, like, Josh Reed, and then, you know, with Jamarcus, you had, you know, multiple guys, early said Craig Davis, um, Dwayne Bowe, who were just really big-time guys, Brandon LaFell. You also had Michael Clayton back in the day, and then you had Odell Beckham. You had Jarvis Landry, who obviously you're seeing at the NFL level are superstars. Jamar Chase, um, you know, Justin Jefferson could win Rookie of the Year. He is big-time. This year, I think Terrace Marshall could be a first-rounder. And Kayshawn Butte looks like the next guy up. I mean, he is dynamic. Over 300 yards set, I believe, an SEC record for receiving yards. He's big time. I mean, he's going to be a first rounder. There is no doubt about it. So you have the next guy up there. And I think Coy Moore is going to show some flashes as well. I still believe Trey Palmer can as well. 
Uh, and so the receiving core is really, really set. The question going into the offseason is this, and I do believe this is the biggest hurdle to overcome. And, you know, people are going to say, well, it's the defensive side of the football. Look, defensive side of the football has playmakers, and college football has changed. So that's where I'll kind of give Pelini a break, even though, you know, we know he was fired and he should be and he was terrible. But college football is not what it was, let's say, in 2011 when LSU beat Bama 9-6. to It was a different game. It's a different game now. It's more spread out. It's hard. To, even Alabama's giving up points. But I do think LSU has the playmakers on defense, and they're going to get better. They really are. But what the problem is, and I, and I kept referencing last year when we talked about it, if you listen to my podcast, is don't worry about the defense. Don't worry about the defense. Because the offense can carry you. Offense, offense wins now in college football. Just look at Alabama. Alabama always has big-time quarterbacks now. That wasn't what they had five years ago. So the big hurdle is the offensive line. Why? You have to still be able to be multiple and, you know, run the football. LSU cannot run the football at all because their offensive line is anemic. That is a hurdle that LSU has to climb. So, therefore, what you have to do is re-recruit some of your guys because, remember, this year in 2020, you're not losing eligibility. Everybody can come back if they want to. So you got to re-recruit some of these guys and also get ready because this offseason is going to be insane. The NCAA said that anybody can transfer and be eligible immediately. It's going to be free agency. It's going to be nuts. It really will be. So go out there. And I don't know what the rules are as far as tampering and you being able to contact other guys, but you have to be aggressive on the offensive line period. That's where you have to be aggressive. That O-line. Everything else I think is going to be fine. When you look at, you know, I think, like I, like we talked about defense, because everybody's going to, going to get fixated on defense. You're going to lose a couple guys. You're going to lose Stevens. You're going to lose Jabril Cox, but you still have some guys who can play, man. I mean, you saw the younger guys step up. I think Eli Ricks is a guy who's going to be big time. But let me just put this out there. And I know everybody who's kind of like looking at the depth chart right now, you know, pinpointing, this is what we got, this is what we got. Derek Stingley, cut him off. He's not coming back to LSU. And I don't care what anybody says. I will be thoroughly shocked if he is suiting up for LSU next year. And I know that he tried to suit up or whatever that was the past couple games. And I'm not going to blame him. I'm not going to, you know, crap on him. But he's gone. And he reminds me a lot of Jamar Chase. What else does he have to gain? I mean, he's going to be a top five pick and, you know, Everybody has said how great he is, and he is great. I don't see him coming back next year. If he comes back, obviously, that is a huge boost for LSU's football program. I don't think it's going to happen, though. Just my opinion could be dead wrong. I have no sources within the program. But that's just – I don't think he comes back. But once again, let's talk about what we see in the future. The, the pieces are there. I've said it before a couple weeks back, and maybe a month back, was that LSU – the path to get back to where most of the fan base wants it is not next year. It's the year after LSU right now. And it's reminiscent to me of 2017, but obviously not as bad. Um, well, 2017 wasn't as bad as this, right? This has been very bad. In 2017, you lose to Troy and, you know, you lose to Bama and you lose the bowl game to Notre Dame game. You shouldn't have lost. So there wasn't this hype around the program and going into 18, Coach O was under fire. I mean, if people believed his job, you know, was in jeopardy. Now, I don't believe his job is in jeopardy going into this year, but he is under fire. And the program has took a hit. It's very reminiscent. And in 2018, 
you you go nine and three, well ten and three with the bowl win in the New Year's Six Bowl against uh, Central Florida, and people started to believe again. That was a huge year for LSU to get themselves back on the map. That's the t- trajectory that I see LSU going on next year is crucial for Coach O. Crucial. Now he's not going to get fired if you know they go if you have a twelve game season and you go seven and five, eight and four. I don't believe that. Now, obviously, if he goes three and nine, yeah, probably, but it's crucial. And the trajectory I see for the program is next year, you won't be competing for a championship. You won't be competing for an SEC West championship, but you'll be competing and you'll be competitive. And I think I'll go nine and three, eight and four, but they'll be competitive, or at least I hope they will be. I think you, these past two games, you've built a good nucleus of guys. And then in 2022, I think you'll be ready to compete with the big boys again. I think you'll be up there. You cross your fingers. Now, that is based upon the coaching hires that will be coming up. Now, let's talk about that. Obviously, we knew Pelini was gone. I mean, he had to be gone. And you have other guys who are leaving. Uh, safeties coach Bill Bush, uh, D-line coach Bill Johnson. You know, The big one that just came down was Steve Insminger. I had a feeling it, something would probably happen. And, and to be honest with you, I don't think it's performance-based. I think it's just they just want to start anew. And they want to, to just, you know, wipe the sheet clean. Now, do I agree with the Steve Insminger move? I don't know. And I, I, I think Steve Insminger probably just maybe wanted to just take an analyst role, step down. Remember, Coach O had to beg him to take the job a couple years back. and. Steve Insminger has been phenomenal for the LSU football program. Okay, let's not get lost. Let's go back. 2016 was Les Miles, obviously, started the season as the head coach. Offense, terrible. Cam Cameron, I believe, was the OC. The offense was anemic. But Coach O takes over. Steve Insminger is the OC. Do you remember the offense was really good? Besides that Alabama game, that offense was humming. And things changed. Now Matt Canada takes the job in 17, gets fired. In 18, even, you know, like I said, besides the Bama game, the offense was pretty good. And Joe Burrow had two months to get prepared with guys he had never played with before. Offense was good. we seen in 19. And I get it. Joe Brady was there. Yeah, sure. But in 19, obviously, you set historic records. And, and Insminger was a big part of that. And then this year, there were moments where we were like, yeah, the offense isn't that great. But the, but with Miles Brennan, they were putting up numbers. And you ended the season two true freshman quarterbacks besides if we take out maybe that Auburn game. The, the offense was pretty good, you know, and you didn't have all your weapons there. Offensive line was terrible, but you still were moving the football. Even against Alabama, you moved the football. He did a hell of a job. So let's talk about what's going to happen moving forward. These coaching hires are crucial. They are going to make or break Coach O's tenure at LSU, period, point blank. This is it. Because you can't turn into one of these goofy programs where, you know, I, I, I look at like Tennessee, I look at Texas, you know, even in the, in the NFL, I look at like the Cleveland Browns, where you're just constantly firing coaches, firing coaches, because if you become that, then nobody's going to want to take a job at LSU, okay? I think they can get a big-time guy, you know, at the defensive coordinator position. I think they can get, you know, offensive coordinator position, you know, but I, I think they have somebody in-house, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. 
but you don't want to become one of these programs who just keep shuffling coaches because then if I'm a big time up and coming defensive coordinator, why would I take a job at LSU? If you just keep firing people, I'm not going to move my family to Baton Rouge if I, I just don't feel like my job is very secure. So you have to get a guy who you trust, who you believe in. You have to, to go through the process and vet that coach to the highest level. Who's going to take that D.C. job? I don't know. I said before about a month ago, I think what they need to do is get a younger African-American defensive coordinator. Now, you don't just get anybody. If, the, if that coach is qualified, then you go for it. You know, one of the names um, that is coming up or one of the you know guys, because the name isn't coming to me, but he's the defensive coordinator at Cincinnati. And, you know, he's a guy, I believe he's 34. He was a linebacker at Ohio State. He was an all-big all, all Big Ten player, played in the NFL. And that's a guy who's interesting. I think he's up for the Broyles Award. Interesting guy right there. I like that. Now, once again, when I said get an African-American head coach, we've had issues in the offseason with Coach O and the social issues, and that created a ruckus within the team. I do believe, you know, when you're running, uh, you know, football program, especially, you know, 85 scholarship players and more players with walk-ons and stuff, a lot of your players are African-Americans. I think that relatability is a, a, a big thing. And I think your coach, your coaching staff doesn't need to reflect the numbers on the roster, but I think you need to have at least a 50-50 split with African-American coaches to, you know, Caucasian coaches or whatever that national, you know, ethnicity would be. And I, and I hate talking about it because, you know, it's just something I don't like to talk about. I just like talking football. But I do think that's something that at least the, you know, coaching staff or Coach O needs to think about. And, you know, we'll see it'll be an interesting hire moving forward. And I, I don't know how quickly they'll make that move. But like I said, it's a huge move for the program. Now, the offensive coordinator position, I think they probably have their guy. And I think they have him in house. And I think that's why Coach Insmere stepped down. Is that I think Russ Calloway, who they hired um, last year as an analyst, he was the offensive coordinator at Samford. And he's this one, he's this young, innovative OC type who I think they're looking to get in. You know, it'll be interesting to see how that clicks. But once again, I like that if Russ Calloway, you know, is the guy. Because then you don't have to bring somebody else in, change the offense. There's still a rapport there with your quarterbacks, with your offense. And you don't have to just start new and start fresh, which can really, you know, hamper you in the 2021 season. So there's still some familiarity there. In my opinion, that's what I think is going to happen. And also these position coaches, that's going to be crucial to see who they hire. Once again, this offseason will be the biggest offseason of Coach O's coaching career, in my opinion, because this is his dream job. This is LSU. This is where he's always wanted to be. If he makes bad hires again, it's over. Now, it's not going to be over next year after 2021 if, you know, they go 7-5, 8-4. But if those are just bad hires, I'm sorry. He can't just keep firing people because then he, they're going to have to just cut bait with him. These are crucial hires for the program. But my overall take is this. I think they're going to make good hires. It can't be any worse than Bo Pelini. I think they make good hires. I think they're on a good track. The, you know, Title IX sexual assault allegations and the whole um, case will come out, you know, in February. We'll see. I, I think Coach O's safe, in my opinion. You know, I, I don't 
think he's going to get fired or anything. But that's going to be another interesting aspect to see. It's, a good, it's going to be a tumultuous offseason. A lot of rumors, things of that nature. But I think LSU gets back on their feet. I think they make good hires. I think next year you're looking at an 8-4 and four to a 9-3 and three season. Nothing spectacular, but they'll compete. And once again, I'll continue to say, not next year, but the next. We're talking 2022, I think, or at least I cross my fingers, LSU will be back on its feet and competing for an SEC championship. Saints drop a tough one on Sunday. We predicted that the Saints would win this game. They play with their hair on fire, especially after they lost to Philadelphia. And, you know, it wasn't necessarily a must win for the Saints, and we'll talk about that a little more. But I thought they would win this game. And it was close at some points, but Kansas City was the better team on Sunday, and that was very, very clear. Now, there's a lot of points to hit on with this game. Let's start off with the big one. I want to talk about the quarterback, Drew Brees. He looked terrible. I'm going to hit you with some factors where you don't want to be very, very pessimistic about his performance. But we want to be realistic, right? I think reality cures everything because reality creates expectations or, you know, lack thereof or inflated expectations. If you're thinking Drew Brees is 30-year-old Drew Brees or in the prime of his career, Drew Brees, you're wrong. And you're going to have, you know, you know, elevated expectations. Therefore, you're going to be let down. Look, he's not the same player. He's going to be 42 in January. He's not the same guy anymore. He's just not. And, you know, that's natural. I didn't think he should be out there this Sunday. I thought, actually, Taysom Hill in the game that he could bring to the table against the Kansas City Chiefs would be more beneficial. And let me explain. I thought, you know, time of possession was going to be huge. If you can keep Mahomes and the offense off the field, that would be huge. I thought you have one more start with Taysom Hill. You let Breeze rest because you remember you have a short week, Christmas Day, Friday, the Saints are playing again. Give him a little extra time to prepare. This isn't necessarily a must-win game as we were heading into it, like some people may think. Taysom Hill was going to, you know, control the, the run game for the Saints, which I kept saying, throw the kitchen sink, use him in the run game. I thought he would be more beneficial. You have a third and six. Taysom Hill drops back, picks up seven yards with his feet, keep moving the chains, keep the offense off the field. So I thought Taysom Hill and what he could bring to the table in this game would be probably more beneficial. And then you hear the news of Michael Thomas out. All right, now let's go back to Drew Brees. Drew Brees is not Drew Brees of old, like we talked about. And so one of the things or the factors that makes him not the same guy is when he doesn't have Michael Thomas, his security blanket, he's off. And you've seen it this year. He just is you know, a, a below average quarterback. Obviously, we've seen the arm strength isn't there. He's not as mobile as he used to be. And Thomas is huge for him. Huge. The, the two of them together are just big time. I don't think Michael Thomas is an, an elite talent, but I think the connection that him and Drew have is, you know, it's up there. It really is. And, and now you have Drew back off an injury. Emmanuel Sanders, really good receiver. He was building a really good rapport with Drew Brees. You get those three to four weeks off, and I think that really hurt what they had going on. And then Traquan Smith goes down. Now you're playing guys out there like Jawan Johnson, who's an undrafted rookie. 
uh, you know, Lil Jordan Humphrey, Tommy Lee Lewis was getting snaps. I mean, it was bad. And, you know, on top of that, you have, you know, Drew Brees coming off 11, you know, fractured ribs and, you know, a punctured lung or, you know, it would, it, this was a tough spot for Drew. It really was. And still, they, they, they gave him an opportunity into the, the game, you know, to win it. I don't blame the defense. You went up against Mahomes in that offense. And what's great about Mahomes is, and, you know, I've watched the tail end of Brett Favre's career, but he's Brett Favre plus, right? So he's got immense talent, but he's a, he's a sandlot quarterback with great weapons out there, great weapons. And like I said, what's great about him is third and 15, third and 20, you're still doubting yourself because what he can do is extend the play, which is, I think, a big thing, you know, right now where we're at, especially in the NFL. Can you extend the play with your feet? I don't need you to be Lamar, but I need you to extend the play. He does it better than anybody. He can extend the play. He can make you miss. He can move the chains with his feet. He can create different arm angles throwing the football. He is amazing on third down. That is the money down, and that is what he is great at. And you saw it yesterday. He was amazing. And so, yeah, it's hard to stop Kansas City. It really, really is. And I thought the Saints did a decent job early on. I thought they did. So I'm not going to blame the defense. And once again, my big point that I would hit home is this isn't some devastating, crushing loss for the Saints. Now, how are they going to recover? They'll never make the Super Bowl now, which is the dream. It's it's what you are trying to attain. You don't play for division titles anymore. You play for big picture, especially after the last three years. And I'm going to tell you, the Super Bowl, getting there, winning it, is still on the table. Think about it, all right? Kansas City is thought to be, by far, the best team in football, right? Saints lost by three yesterday. Drew Brees was terrible. The offense was anemic at times. I didn't feel like Kamara had a great game, okay? With all that said, you still lost by three points. I mean, just think about that. You're going to be fine. You really will be. You think Drew Brees is going to continue to be that bad? No. No, he's not going to elevate himself to MVP status. No, that's not going to happen. But he's not going to play that poorly. They're going to win the next two games, in my opinion. Sure, they don't have a bye. But home field advantage, how much does that mean at this point? And I know what everybody's going to say. Yeah, but you have to go to Green Bay and play in the cold weather. Look at how the Saints are structured right now. This is not a downfield passing football team, which in cold weather will be difficult to overcome. This is if Sean Payton has his mind clear, right? And this is something they didn't do yesterday. Run the football, run the football. This is a running team, a short passing game, and a really good defense and a good pass rush who can get after the quarterback. You're fine if you have to go to Green Bay. You are. And that's the only place you're going to have to go. I'm fine with it. You could still beat Green Bay. Green Bay is a good football team. They're not this monster that you just can't overcome. And when we talk about this Kansas City loss, I try to always create parallels. That's a big thing with me. I look back to let's 2018, okay? Who was one of the hottest teams in football in 2018? And it, and it proved to be true. They made it to the Super Bowl, and you lost to them in the playoffs. And that was the L.A. Rams. You had them in your building. It was a, a three three o'clock kickoff, Fox prime time, just like yesterday. And you beat them and you destroyed them. And you were pumping your chest. 
and, you know, saying how great the Saints were. Who that? Let's go. And it didn't mean shit because you played in the playoffs and you lost. And I get there was a bad, you know, P.I. call. But, I mean, they were the better team and they won. So how much did that win in November really help you? Not much. You know, I've seen the Saints, you know, several times. I can remember, I believe, in 17, they beat the Pittsburgh Steelers in a, in a December matchup, 3 o'clock, primetime kickoff. Everybody was beating their chest because Pittsburgh was a really good football team. And you won that game, and it didn't do anything for you. It's about the postseason. Why do you think Michael Thomas didn't play? Because Sean Payton realizes this is the last hurrah. The devastating losses in the past three years, they're not playing for division championships. They're not playing to win a singular game. They're playing for the big picture, which is get to the Super Bowl, win the Super Bowl. And I think you're in a good spot, right? Who are you most likely going to play if you get to the Super Bowl? Kansas City Chiefs. You've seen them already. I think you'll have a good plan defensively. And Drew Brees can't play any worse. (laughs) Sorry, you just can't. Then you'll have Michael Thomas healthy. Think about these things. Things are looking good for the Saints. Don't get devastated after a couple losses. And sometimes in the NFL, and I've said this before, and I continue to say this, especially in the NFL, because the, the margin of talent isn't isn't like deep like college football. Whereas like LSU loses to Alabama and you know loses, let's say, to you know Texas AM. Well, you know, I don't know if that's going to really impact them moving forward, whether they're going to play better if they go play, you know, let's say Georgia the next week. Those teams are just better than you. doesn't matter how motivated you are or how good of a week of practice you are. If you're just – if you don't have the talent, you have the talent. College football is a big disparity. NFL, not so much. You've seen it. Philadelphia beat the Saints. The talent margin isn't that big. So I say that to say this. You don't think – after two straight losses, Sean Payton, the top three coach in the league, he's going to have these guys playing hard, practicing hard, moving forward, knowing that the big picture is still in sight, but they need to play better. Saints are fine. This is going to be a good thing moving forward, right? You get this little rough patch right here. I still think the Saints are going to make the Super Bowl. I do. I think they're the best roster in the NFC. Hell, I think they might have the best roster in football. But Mahomes is just so good that, you know, he'll just beat you. But can Mahomes beat you twice? (laughs) That's what I keep thinking about. Saints are in a great spot. A great spot. I mean, I think they're still in a great spot to win the Super Bowl. I know that might seem crazy after the past two weeks. But I'm telling you, Saints are fine. Do not panic. College football playoff came out Sunday with their final rankings. You got Bama, Clemson, Ohio State, Notre Dame. No shock at all. It's exactly what I thought was going to happen. College football is very predictable. But what's also predictable is people's reactions. And there's two ends of the spectrum in that. It's the people who love college football, who cover it, who, in my opinion, are just too close to the sport and invest in it to see the big picture. And there's just the dummies who just, you know, they watch the sport, but they don't they can't think further than the TV screen. And what I continue to hear, and you hear this year in and year out, you gotta expand the playoff. The, 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 eight teams, six teams, whatever. Ridiculous. 
And and I've heard that for so many years when it was two teams, you need to go to four. And now that it's four, you need to go to eight. And if you make it eight, then you need to go to 16. Because some anonymous school didn't make it, right? So let's break this whole thing down. Texas A&M doesn't make it. And what I keep hearing is, well, they played X amount of games and Ohio State played, you know, less games than that. And, you know, people locally are like, well, you see, I mean, Florida lost to LSU, prime example. Anything could happen on, a, on a, any given Saturday. Great. And Ohio State lost to Iowa and Purdue, you know, in back-to-back years, which gave them a one-loss season. And so you keep hearing that. We see they could have very well, you know, had that same type of loss this year. Okay, sure. And if they did, they'd have one loss and be a Big Ten champion. And so, you know what happened? Shocker, they would still get in over Texas A&M. Sorry, that's not how it works. And I get it. It's some people, you know, I guess, you know, from around this area, love the SEC. But the reality is, 14, these games are all garbage. I mean, think about it. There's really two, maybe three good teams in the country. So you might get a good game against Clemson, Ohio State, even though I think Clemson will win that, that game right there. Bama, it does not matter who you put in this game right here, okay? Vegas just came out with a spread. 17.5 point favorites. That's what Alabama is. This is a playoff game, right? You know what happened if they played Texas A&M? You know what the spread would probably be? Probably the same thing. It doesn't matter. Cincinnati, Coastal Carolina, all these goofy teams, they would get their doors blown off against Bama, right? So I always hear, well, I want to – Cincinnati, right? I want to see Cincinnati in there. Put Cincinnati in, right? This is a, this is a shame. You go undefeated and you should, you know, and great. And, and, and you know what's going to happen? You're going to be excited. You're going to see Cincinnati in the college football playoff or Coastal Carolina, right? It's going to be this great game, David versus Goliath. And you're going to watch for five minutes and ask your wife, hey, is there anything playing on Netflix? Because I'm, I don't really feel like watching this 50 to nothing blowout. Right. It's this whole thing. You're not being realistic with yourself. Right. And of course, you're going to have to be, well, Boise State beat Oklahoma. Okay, you're taking anecdotal situations, singular outcomes. And if you break things down even further, well, they beat Oklahoma. Oklahoma was like a three loss team that year. Wasn't that good. Probably wasn't excited to be in the Fiesta Bowl playing Boise State. And Boise State needed like miracle after miracle after miracle to win the football game. So, like, I don't know. I just don't feel like that holds up. <laughs> just one singular situation that was, like, crazy. You had this weird Statue of Liberty play. Yeah, that's what you're going to hang your hat on. Yeah, go let Coastal Carolina play Bama. We'll see what happens. Sure. Especially when Bama knows there's something on the line. Maybe Coastal Carolina plays them in September when Bama's bored out of their minds, and maybe they can keep it between three touchdowns. Sorry. So this this notion that you need to you know put more teams in there, you know, and let let's get fur, let's talk further on this because I'm gonna hit you with a, a pivot that you're not gonna expect. I actually do think they need to expand the playoffs. And you're thinking to yourself, well, you just had this huge rant about not expanding the playoffs. No, no, no. I don't want to expand it to let goofy teams in. Because I think that the sixth best team in the country has a chance to win a championship. No, no, that's not what I meant. I think you need to expand it because the sport is falling apart. Sport's falling apart because there's only two, maybe three good teams in the country that have a chance to win. 
And I think you need more parity. I do. Now, Costume Balls really never had parity, or at least that much. But right now, it's just so lopsided, it's ridiculous. But I think what's happening is you're seeing Ohio State. You're seeing Bama. You're seeing Clemson every year in the playoff. And it's just – and don't look at the recruiting rankings. Those are the best teams in the country in the recruiting rankings. It's creating a lopsided college football. And I think you have to give players, especially with the opt-outs happening now, more of an incentive of something. So make it eight teams. Make it 16 teams to, you know, I guess go against the opt-outs. Because if kids are playing for something, then they'll want to play. For instance, Florida's tight end, Kyle Pitts, who is amazing. He's going to be a star in the NFL. Opted out of the whatever bowl they're playing in, right? Some New Year's Six Bowl, but who cares? They're playing for, what, a T-shirt? Yeah, I don't blame him for opting out. You have to give people incentives to keep playing. That's why I think eight teams would help. That's why I think, you know, 16 teams would help. Because now it's you could still have a chance to get in. Guys feel like they're playing for something. And I think it would help some of these teams, not like Vanderbilt and Kentucky, right? But like, you know, mid-level teams in recruiting and just kind of, you know, even the playing field a tad bit, which I think is very important because I think the sports is getting lopsided. And it'll bring me to my final point if we're going to talk college football playoff. You know, you hear people say, well, because that, that's the big thing with what's going on with the NBA and, and Major League Baseball having weird seasons. Will it be an asterisk, you know, towards whoever wins the championship? Not at all. Alabama might have their best team we've ever seen. And they are immensely talented. And they're going to be hard to stop. They're going to win the national championship, and it won't be an asterisk. They would have played all their games, beaten the crap out of everybody, and they'll be one of the greatest teams we've ever seen. Nick Saban is built for this situation right here because it's all about tunnel vision within their program and discipline, and that's what they have, and that's what has made them successful for years. So in a time like this, this plays right into you know Alabama and Nick Saban. They're going to win this championship, I believe – They'll blow out Notre Dame 20 points, 20, you know, 24. It's going to be multiple touchdowns. It's going to be bad. And then the other game, Ohio State-Clemson, could be good for a little bit, but I don't think Ohio State is really as good as they have been. The more I watch Fields play, I'm not as sold on him, and I'm completely sold on Clemson, even though I don't know if they're as good as their team two years ago that won the national championship. still think they're damn good. It'll be close, but I do think Clemson wins by multiple touchdowns, and you got Clemson-Bama championship. Could be close because I think Clemson just is has no fear, and their coaching staff can match Bama's coaching staff, two best coaching staffs in the country, No, not a shock at all. So I do think that game could be fairly close, but Bama's going to win that game by double digits. They're just so damn good this year.